0: Steel, Ferrari, latigra they're the same face! Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills! I invented the piano key necktie! I invented it! What have you done, Derek? Nothing! You've done nothing! Nothing!
1: Derek Zoolander may be really, really ridiculously good-looking, but will that be enough when he's brainwashed to kill the Prime Minister of Malaysia? Join us as we chat about a waste of a Vince Vaughn cameo, why cell phones stopped getting smaller, and an incredibly lame version of Monopoly. Don't feel like you're taking crazy pills. We're just here to find out if Zoolander stands the test of time.
0: James and Allen have to say, Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says Gladiator with the glutton. Alan says as a father, blah blah. It's the test of time. James and Allen have their say, Do the movies you love still hold up today? Test of time. James and Allen have their say, Do
1: the movies you love still hold up today?
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Test of Time podcast. My name is Alan Noah, and joining me, as always, is you, James Brief. Hello,
1: everyone, and welcome to the Test of Time podcast. And I'm really happy to be here, Al. We're going to talk about
0: Zoolander today. I am very happy to be talking about Zoolander. I'm also happy to be not talking about a Star Trek movie, as we did for the past three weeks. But, you know, now we're moving on. And we are going to talk about Zoolander, which is a movie that I love and I own on DVD. And when I saw that it was a 20th anniversary, I really wanted to talk about it. Um, I remember seeing this movie in the theaters. Did you see it in the theaters?
1: No, no, definitely not. Because uh, famously, this movie came out like shortly after September 11th. And I would imagine if you saw in the theaters, it would only be as, you know, a total escape because this was like,
0: ah, it came out on uh, September 28th. Well, yeah, I mean, that's exactly what it was. A lot of people have been talking about the 20th anniversary of the September 11th attacks. And, you know, as awful as that day was, the days and weeks after were also horrible. And one of my best friends lost her father and, you know, In those weeks after the attacks, I and her and lots of people, what we were doing was just watching the news and just sitting around being sad and and trying to process what had happened. And it was really, really tough and really difficult. And at one point, I remember uh, my friend just said, enough. No more news. we got to get out of this house. We've got to go do something else. We have to get out of here. And... The thing that we did was we went to see this movie. We went to see Zoolander, I think, probably pretty soon after it opened. And we went into the theater and we laughed a lot. And we laughed for what seemed like the first time in ages. You know, because in those ensuing weeks, it was just misery and sadness every day, day in, day out. And this movie, like, really was powerful like it really gave us something that we needed we needed to have that laughter and you know i don't want to be like corny or cheesy or melodramatic about it but you know like i believe that art and movies and music and tv shows can be powerful and they can have like a real world value and this movie for me and for my group of friends and i'm sure for lots of people had that effect and really it was really just much needed medicine it's something that i will always associate this movie with september 11th but not in like a tragic way in a way of like we needed it you know
1: yeah for me zoolander i I totally missed it in the theater but this was one of those dvds that i'd say everyone had like two out of the Following five DVDs, just everyone in their collection uh, of our age. You, you had The Matrix, yeah. Garden State. I, I didn't have that one. Oh, I have that one. Yeah, uh, you had Zoolander. Mm-hmm.
0: Austin Powers. I do not have that one. I never had that one.
1: And a lot of people would have um, Napoleon Dynamite. Oh, yeah. That was on a lot of people's shelves. I mean, I had of the list, I had uh, have uh, The Matrix and Zoolander. But uh, it really did pick up on DVD. It was one of those films that, like Austin Powers or even Napoleon Dynamite, you would hear the catchphrases before you saw the film. And eventually there would be so many references to it that you'd be like, I have to see this film.
0: Yeah, yeah. The movie is very, very quotable, for sure. And because you mentioned the DVDs, um, this is actually the last movie in my DVD collection, alphabetically speaking. I'm guessing it is on yours and a lot of people's.
1: Um, Yeah, I think you're correct. Yeah, I think it might be the last one. Um, And I don't own Zoolander 2, which I guess would be after it alphabetically.
0: Yes, it would be. And no, I've never seen Zoolander 2.
1: I think it's Zoolander number two, which is kind of pretty funny. I think it's a riff on like Chanel
0: number five. Yes, it is. Uh, but I heard it was terrible and I never got around to seeing it. And I'm a little afraid to because I feel like it could taint my memory of Zoolander one. Maybe at some point I'll watch it. But the movie, if anyone doesn't remember, it's about dim-witted Derek Zoolander, who winds up losing his spot at the top of the male modeling world to a young upstart model named Hansel, who's so hot right now. He's so hot right now. So hot right now. Following the death of his roommates, Zoolander becomes unknowingly recruited into a secret group of male model assassins. Which happens. Sure, it's happened to us all. Uh, with the help of a reporter named Matilda and his rival Hansel, will Derek be able to resist his brainwashing, learn how to turn left, and find his true purpose in life? And follow up question How did this movie do at the box office?
1: Well, it opened on September 28, 2001. It had a $28 million budget. So, you know, modestly budgeted film. It opened at number two with $15 million. Number one, I remember that this was the number one film at the time. It was a Michael Douglas, Brittany Murphy kind of thriller. Do you remember anything about this film and that there was a catchphrase that I especially remember Conan O'Brien used to make fun of for a long time. It was in every commercial.
0: Yes, I remember the Conan O'Brien bit where it was one of the writers doing the line from the commercial where Brittany Murphy said, I'll never tell. Because the
1: movie is called Don't Say a Word. She was either insane or she'd been through some trauma or something. I I don't know if I saw the film, but uh, maybe I think I did eventually. I think it's supposed to be very serious, but Conan O'Brien made it very comedic.
0: Yes, I do remember that Conan bit, and it was very funny. And I'm pretty sure I used to say that a lot to Courtney, I think. Just, I'll never tell. Uh, And I'm sure she found it hilarious Every single time I said it, and if she says anything to the contrary, she's lying.
1: Well, you know, also people that are lying, the people that say that this movie was a flop in the theaters, because $28 million, it earned $45 million domestically, $60 million worldwide. And as we've talked about, you know, it's very popular on DVD to the point where there was a funding for a sequel years later. So the principles made out
0: very well in this film. sure. Sure. Um And the movie is made by VH1 Films, which is like a thing, apparently. I knew there was MTV Films. Right, right. You could name maybe a couple of those. This movie seems like it would be MTV Films. Right. I think the VH1 connection is... VH1 had their VH1 Fashion Awards and they filmed some of these scenes like at an actual VH1 Fashion Awards I think in 2000 but okay like I worked at VH1 for many years ask me to name another VH1 film I cannot I don't know if this was the only one but when you see it in the movie it does show you like the old VH1 logo you know like in the the circle Not like when they rebranded it and it kind of had like the VH and the backwards one. It kind of looked like an R. That was a bad rebrand. I wasn't a fan of that logo. But the movie itself starts with Mugatu, played by Will Ferrell. And he is speaking to this like cabal of shadowy figures... Uh, Who are telling him that he needs to assassinate the prime minister in Malaysia because this new prime minister is going to increase wages in the country, which is, I guess, good for the people of Malaysia, but bad for the fashion industry because then they can't employ really cheap labor.
1: Yeah, I think I had to do something with child labor laws. And there's a great line. It kind of references something you'll learn later. And one of the people in this cabal says, Perhaps, Mugatu, you'd like to go back to making fashion ties in Hackensack, New Jersey.
0: Yeah, a, a little bit of foreshadowing there. And then we meet Derek Zoolander. And he's talking about all of his different looks. Uh, he's got Blue Steel. He's got Litigre, And he's working on Magnum. And Magnum is like this new look that's going to change the world, but he's not ready to unveil it. And you see Blue Steel, and you see La Tigre, and they look exactly the same. And I was reading in the trivia, apparently, that's based on, in real life, Christine Taylor, who plays Matilda in the movie and is Ben Stiller's wife. She would make fun of him because when he would comb his hair, he would kind of like do that weird thing with his lips and like pose in the mirror. And that's sort of where the the look came from.
1: I do like how they frame this around the character played by Christine Taylor, Matilda, the journalist. And they frame it like, I'm going to introduce you to the world of male modeling. And then we go to a fashion show. And there's a lot of cameos showing that there's a lot of famous people that visit the uh, world of fashion. You see Natalie Portman and you see Lenny Kravitz. And yes, you do see Donald Trump. And, you know... Oh. I have to say as a New Yorker, this is the kind of thing that when you casually read like the post or something, you would have heard Donald Trump getting into because, you know, he's like the kid who wants to like buy his way into the cool kids party. Like you always found a way to like get into something really important.
0: Yeah, I mean, and he was always around models. His wife is a model. He threw those uh, pageants. So it makes sense that he would be at this type of event. Event, I agree. Uh, It's just that like now seeing him in a completely innocuous, harmless cameo makes me want to throw up in my mouth. (laughs) You know, that's my reaction. I'm sure many people just wouldn't care. But this fashion show is where we're also introduced to Hansel, uh, who is a rival male model. And Hansel and Zoolander are both up for this award, the top male model of the year. And As you're watching the Hansel video, uh, Mugatu says, he's so hot right now. And there's a great joke when you're watching Zoolander's video package, they talk about his calendar that he does, and Zoolander's like, that calendar really allowed me to show my versatility, and it's the exact same picture of Zoolander in every month, just the background changes. I just thought that was a really funny gag. Not even like it's slightly different poses or he's kind of looking a little bit, like he is exactly the same in every single month.
1: Yeah, I did like those small little gags. It's the kind of thing you don't pick up the first time you see this film.
0: Yeah, exactly. But yeah, so then the award is given to Hansel. But Zoolander accepts the award thinking that he won, but he didn't. And it's super embarrassing. And it's way worse than just losing because he's embarrassed himself by having to be told by Lenny Kravitz, no, no, you didn't win.
1: Right, and this is around the time that Matilda's article comes out. Basically, the cover winds up being, uh, it says something like, Derek Zoolander, male model, American idiot, or something like that. And the article is not very kind to Derek, and he realizes that everyone's mocking him and calling him an idiot, and you know, the, this thing at the male model wars doesn't really help anything. And there's, there's something in the media that says, confirmed loser, Derek Zoolander, blah, 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 blah. I just love that.
0: Yeah, because he lost the award, and it's funny, and he's, like, walking down the streets of Manhattan, and he's very sad, and Derek goes home, and his roommates, who are also male models, decide to cheer him up, and they take him out for, like, a fun, wacky day around the city, and they're drinking their smoothies, and they're, like, posing. A wake Me Up Before You Go-Go is playing. Who sings that song, a Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go again now? Wham! Wham. No, no. No, no, you said that wrong. It's not wham. It's wham! Because that is an exclamation point at the end. Yes, it does. And is
1: this the song, the video where they're wearing t shirts that say choose life? I think so. And I think it has nothing to do with like abortion. I think it's like anti suicide. I that think ages so. very poorly.
0: Yes, I think you're right. I think it was meant as like a. like uplifting positive message but yeah in today's terms right it doesn't have a great sound and they go to a gas station they're flicking the the windshield wiper fluid at each other which is super disgusting like, oh
1: absolutely like it's not blue by the time it's your turn to take it out
0: yeah 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 yeah. but then they start fighting with the gasoline uh, Zoolander sees something I think he sees like the the time magazine and he's like looking at that and he's distracted while all of his friends are like flinging the gasoline at each other and then one of the guys goes to light a cigarette and they explode I will tell you watching that in the theater the theater exploded with laughter like everyone was cracking up it's very very funny and it is funnier the first time you see it when you don't expect that to happen because why would you expect that to happen i mean you would expect them to blow up once they start with the gasoline and the match but still the whole thing is just really preposterous
1: yeah, and you know, there's something I love about these other male model roommates. Now, Ben Stiller, he is a, a nice-looking man, and, and his hairdo is something like a male model would wear. But let's just say that the other three roommates are these gorgeous male models. And it's very funny. It reminds me of that uh, Hulu show. I don't know if you've ever seen it, the Pen15. Yeah, Pen15, made-
0: not the Pen15.
1: Yeah, Pen15, it stars these, like, 30-something-year-old women, but they play, like, 12-year-old girls, and nobody, like, makes any reference to the fact that they're 30-year-olds. Right. I just love the fact that, you know, Owen Wilson and Ben Stiller, they are not, like, male-model-looking, good but it totally blends in, and it's kind of part of the joke.
0: I I like it. I mean, no offense to Owen Wilson, But I think really the joke is that he's a male model. Like Ben Stiller is better looking, I think, than Owen Wilson. And I'm not knocking Owen Wilson. I love Owen Wilson. But like his nose is like immediately a disqualifier to be a male model, I would think. I would
1: think that his dreamy blonde locks make him a male model. So between the two
0: of us, we have a different Tiger Beat poster on our walls. I guess so. Um, But to your point about the roommates, one of the roommates is Alexander Skarsgård, who is a very attractive guy. He was on True Blood. He was on um, Big Little Lies. Like He makes sense as a male model. But, you know, after all of his friends die, Zoolander uh, is at the funeral and he is giving the Yagoogly, <laughs> which is what he calls the eulogy. And it's sweet, but it's sad because he's trying to announce his retirement and he can't even do that because then Hansel shows up and he's just extra depressed. He goes and sees his manager, Maury Ballstein, played by his real life father, Jerry Stiller. And while they're walking around the office, uh, Maury is grabbing women's butts. He yells, watch out, here comes a tushy squeeze. And obviously that doesn't really stand the test of time. Although I think in the movie it's still like inappropriate and everyone knows it's inappropriate, but he's just getting away with it.
1: Unfortunately, it probably does still stand up, but it's not to be seen as, oh, that dirty old man.
0: Exactly, exactly.
1: And this, of course, is the second movie reviewing with Ben Stiller and his father, Jerry Stiller.
0: Sure, uh, the first being Heavyweights, of course. And uh, his mom, Anne Mira, is in this movie too, and his wife, Christine Taylor, and a couple other people uh, have like smaller roles too. They're- Are they
1: married in this film, uh, Ben Stiller and Christine Taylor?
0: Are they married at the time of this filming? Yeah, I didn't think so. Um, Let me check. I think that they were. Uh, hold on. I will check. Because I think they're married when they do dodgeball together. Yeah, they got married in 2000. They are still together. They like kind of sort of broke up a little bit, but then they actually got back together. Good for them. Good for them. Um, but while Zoolander and Maury are talking, we find out that Zoolander can't turn left. Uh, He can only, like, turn all the way around right if he needs to go left. And also that he's never worked with Mugatu, and Zoolander is upset, and he's going to leave the modeling business and go home and work in a coal mine with his father and brothers. Which seems like a very drastic thing to do, uh, which is the entire point, uh, where he goes into this coal mine... And it's a disaster because he's treating it like it's a modeling show and, you know, like doing fancy poses and stuff while uh, working for The weekend. by Loverboy plays. And the guys who work in the coal mine are, you know, taking it seriously.
1: Yeah, forever that music will always be from the Chippendales Chris Farley sketch of, uh, you know, him versus Patrick Swayze. Sure, but I feel like it's been used in so many great things. No, for me, it's always the uh, Patrick Swayze, Chippendales. But I do love that montage. My favorite part is when they're about to swing their pickaxe into the wall and he jumps out. And, you know, this is the second Ben Stiller written film where there's a uh, blackface scene where he gets away with it. Tropic Thunder. Right. Of course, he wrote that one. And, you know, uh, Robert Downey Jr.
0: is in blackface. Right. I feel like the funniest part of the whole coal mining thing is... After one day in the mine when they're at the bar and Zoolander's like, "Uh uh I think it's the black lung pops. That's like not even like a quotable line. That's more just like a quotable thing that like I do that sometimes. Like if we're ever out at a restaurant, outdoor dining, and a car or truck goes by with like a loud exhaust, I will do the (laughs) kind of a cough in homage to this movie.
1: Oh, I do the exact same thing. I love quoting that line. And also in this scene, oh, we have to talk about the fact that his father is played by the fantastic John Voight, who is perfectly cast in this role. Uh, I mean, you could probably get uh, like a Malcolm McDonald or even like an angry John Goodman. But, you know, he's a coal mine guy. This guy is embarrassed by his son, who is a male model, like
0: a high fashion male model. Right, 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 right. Also, his brothers are played by Vince Vaughn and Judah Friedlander, who are very, very funny people and do nothing. They're like basically just like extras like they have no lines it's funny that like you book vince vaughn in this movie and he's just like looks like a sad sack coal miner he doesn't do anything yeah it really is i mean and obviously you know in dodgeball vince vaughn and ben stiller would play off of each other and they would have like scenes and lines together and uh in this movie he's just kind of there
1: i feel like one of the siblings didn't show up and he just called his friend he's like vince a day of filming. Can you help me out here? You know, We'll send a car for you. Craft food services. It's really great here. Please help me out, buddy.
0: I guess. But then, like, wouldn't you be like, all right, now that we've got Vince Vaughn, let's use Vince Vaughn. They kind of waste Vince Vaughn. Yeah, I guess so. I,
1: I, I give you that. But the the best part of uh, John Voight's uh, cameo, it, well, it's not a cameo; it's it's his role in there. He's at the bar, and Derek's trying to impress his father. But he sees him on one of these like, yeah, I don't even know if they do them as much anymore. But definitely in the late '90s, early 2000s, you'd see these ridiculous like Calvin Klein kind of ads that have nothing to do with a perfume or cologne, and it would just be like somebody on a swing, and then it would
0: just say like obsession Calvin Klein right but Zoolander is a merman in this commercial and everyone in the bar is like snickering and it's embarrassing for you know this rough coal miner guy And so he tells Zoolander to leave, and he's very sad. And then he gets a call on his teeny tiny little flip phone.
1: Yeah, that is a test of time thing, because it was 99 to 2002 when the last person got their cell phone. And cell phones, the whole thing was they were getting smaller and smaller and smaller, because there was the famous what we'd call the Zack Morris cell phone. And Mm -hmm. it was like when we first saw those small Motorola flips, and then there was the, the Razor phone and it was like, wow, they're getting smaller and smaller. And there would be jokes like on Futurama, Amy, she was always the fashionable one and she had uh, a phone that was so small she would occasionally swallow it. I remember seeing this meme and it was, it was uh, about phones and it was showing the, the timeline of like 1997 all the way and the phones are getting smaller and smaller and smaller and then it points to like 2006 when the phones got the smallest and it goes, this is when people realize they can watch pornography on their
0: phone. And then from 2006, it gets larger and larger and larger and larger. That's really funny. 2007, I think, was when the first iPhone came out. But yeah, it was definitely like a race to like have the smallest phone. My friends Ben and Aaron were always like trying to compete over whose phone was just a little bit smaller. And like, what was the point? Uh, But... Zoolander gets a call from Mori who's telling him that Mugatu wants to work with him and he'll make it worth his while. And now that his dad has rejected him, he's ready to come back to being a male model.
1: Yeah. And he wants him to work on this fashion line. It's derelict. 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 Yes. And it's a Fashion based on homeless people, I guess. And in and of itself, you know, it's funny, but it's not completely out there when you've seen high fashion shows.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, this actually was based on a real thing where there was a designer who was like inspired by homeless people. I think in this movie it was more extreme, but also Heroin Chic was a real fashion thing in the 90s which is insane to say those words out loud but it was a real thing like fashion inspired by like heroin users and abusers Yeah, yeah, it was.
1: And another big 80s song comes up here. Now, who sings the song Relax? Frankie Goes to Hollywood. That's right. I knew you knew it, Al. I was just testing you. Don't test me. um, Derek is sat down on a chair, and it's sort of your clockwork orange kind of hypnotizing scene, where Relax by Frankie Goes to Hollywood comes on. It's a hysterical video with like a floating head of Mugatu, and he's basically telling him that uh, the prime minister of Malaysia is bad, and And he must be murdered. Right. It kind of combines like parts from The Matrix. Like, you know kung fu. You know how to twist people's necks. And it's very funny seeing like a video of like what Derek is supposed to do.
0: Yeah, it is really funny. And it's also like you have to ignore the beautiful people when you're walking the runway. And like, all of the people who, like, pop up in this video, like, do show up at the end of the movie when Zoolander is walking the runway and he's supposed to kill the Prime Minister of Malaysia.
1: And it's such a random group of cameos. It's, like, Fred Durst from Limp Bizkit, uh-huh. uh, Lance Bass from In Sync, mm-hmm. and then uh, Gary Shandling.
0: Right, who just gives, like, a really kind of, like, awkward double thumbs up. Like, he's not, a like, a high-fashion guy. What's he doing there?
1: No, he's, like, a Billy Crystal-looking, like, Jewish guy. I mean, <laughs> right. the joke is that, you know, he's not one of the beautiful
0: people. Right, right. But after this, like, brainwashing, he's been out of it for, like, a couple of days, and Matilda's looking for him. She comes to his apartment, and there's 1,200 messages on his answering machine. Test of time thing, answering machines. But... He tells Matilda that, like, he doesn't want to have anything to do with her and he's still mad at her because of the article that she wrote. But he does, like, take a second to, like, let her hair down and, like, fix her hair because she's pulling it too far back and it's destroying the capillaries in her forehead or whatever. And he's right. Zoolander knows his stuff.
1: I do like that they insert this line in because it's the probably the only time in the entire film when he does something genuinely intelligent because it's part of his world. So I, I do like that he does this. Like He is a total moron in our world, but in his world, he's actually pretty good at what he does. And yeah. actually, as we learn at the end of the film, he might be one of the greatest ever to live in his world. Right, right. There's this great part when Matilda, uh, she's finding out more about Mugatu and she searches this search engine called Excite at Home. Do you remember Excite? Uh, maybe a little. Yeah, it was one of the big ones. Before Google, there was Yahoo, Excite, Lycos, Alta Vista, and Excite was one of the big ones. And this was Excite at Home, which was you know like sort of a spin-off of it. It's like when you see Ask Jeeves in one of these uh, movies from this time.
0: See, Ask Jeeves, I remember. That's like funnier. Excite, I guess, just didn't really... Leave a lasting impression.
1: I'll tell you, I have this hysterical thing that it's been outdated for years and it just gets funnier and funnier the longer it goes. I think it's from 1999 or 2000. It's Monopoly, the com edition. And I'll tell you that the boardwalk is Excite at Home. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It was it was that big. Excite was one of those like multi-billion dollar sites for like a minute. That's
0: really funny. That's really, and you still have this board game? Oh, it's the only Monopoly version I own. And all,
1: <laughs> yeah, all the uh, price values are in the hundred thousands, or uh, rather, it's in the millions. So um, Boardwalk or the Excited Home is not four hundred dollars; it's four hundred million. And all the bills are the exact same colors, but instead of saying uh, five hundred, it says five hundred million. Weird.
0: That's weird. Um, Zoolander. Then goes to a club and he and Hansel like come face to face and there's all this bad blood between them. I like when Derek's like, well, I just got picked to
1: be in, we've got this new derelict campaign. And uh, Hansel replies, yeah, I've never heard of it. So you can derelict my balls. <laughs>
0: it's, just, it's a great reply. That is a good comeback. And they decide that they need to have a walk off where they are going to, like, pit their modeling skills against each other. And the guy who's going to judge the walk-off is David Bowie. And this movie has tons of cameos, like you mentioned some of them already, but the fact that David Bowie is in this movie is, like, really cool. I feel like that kind of, like, elevates the cameo game.
1: Yeah, I never really knew much about David Bowie. And I remember he was in Labyrinth. And I knew he was a musician, but I didn't know much about him. But I did know he was very cool. So I knew that him being in this film was very cool.
0: Oh, I mean, I, I would highly recommend to just start listening to David Bowie music. Whenever you're on a walk or on a jog or sitting in your apartment doing whatever. Like, his catalog is mind-blowingly good
1: i've heard more of him since this time but i remember in the uh at the time i didn't know much about him
0: oh okay um the walk-off is pretty funny i mean they're just doing all of these like ridiculous moves and then when one of them does a move then the other one has to do it and add on it i do like
1: at one point when uh they're between dance-offs and derek is like cut me you gotta cut me and it's a reference to rocky one where he's like cut me mick Hansel says that Hansel yeah I think Hansel says it.
0: yeah and it, and then it's like cut his hair a little bit and not cut my eye it's cut my hair just a tiny little bit there's a little bit in front of his eye yeah that is funny uh and then Hansel ends the walk-off when he pulls his underwear off out from his pants just by like sticking his hand down his pants and he's able to do it and then when Zoolander tries to do it, he just gives himself, like, an epic wedgie. And it's funny, but, like, how the hell would that work? Were you, like, trying to, like, wrap your head around it of, like, how one could do that?
1: No, not at all. It's completely a gag. There is no trick. It's either uh, fake and Hansel had a pair of underwear stuffed in his pants or
0: it's just for gags. And I I never really paid too much attention to thinking about it. I was trying to give it a little bit of thought of like, how could this be? No, 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 of course, this absolutely could not happen. Also, Matilda has been getting these calls from like an anonymous source, like a deep throat kind of a thing. And it turns out to be this former hand model. And he does all of like the exposition about how models in history have been assassins male models <laughs> right only male models uh Zoolander says but why male models and he explains that well male models are stupid and vapid and they listen to everything that they're told and then 2 seconds later Zoolander says but why male models it's played by David DeCovney aka Fox Mulder and his reaction of just like are are you serious I literally just answered that like two seconds ago. It's priceless. And apparently that was like an improv thing because Ben Stiller forgot what his next line was. So he just repeated his old line and David Duchovny improv that reaction, which is perfect.
1: You know, it's sort of like in, in The Dark Knight or Batman Begins, you'd hear about this league of shadow assassins that have been around since before the Roman Empire. And you get this idea that there's been a league of male model assassins or even the concept that male models existed before the mid-20th century. It, you know, <laughs> I love this idea. Before the invention of the Sears catalog, the idea that male models existed is hysterical to me.
0: Right, and that John Wilkes Booth, was a a male model and he was mad at Lincoln, similar to like the Malaysia thing, like by abolishing slavery, that was going to make fashion prices go up. And also male models were behind the assassination of JFK. And then I think it's Matilda's like, but Lee Harvey Oswald wasn't a male model. And David Duchovny's character is like, no, he wasn't. But the two guys that shot him from the grassy knoll sure were. I mean, (laughs) they could have come up with other assassination attempts but those are the two that i guess every american audience member knows about so that's why they picked those two
1: yeah and they didn't go as far back as to go that like brutus from ancient rome was uh was a male model
0: right right i mean they probably could have or even just like made up some leader who is assassinated or something but whatever it works it's very funny and mugatu's men show up and actually not just men uh his henchwoman katinka uh played by How do you say her name?
1: I think it's Mila Jovovich.
0: Okay, yeah, sure. I'll go with that. Uh, They show up and they start shooting at them. And so Matilda says to Zoolander that they need to hide out. What's the last place where anyone would think to look for you? And they realize that would be Hansel's loft. And they go there. And I love the scene where Hansel and Zoolander reconcile because— Hansel like sees Zoolander show up, and you know they've got all this bad blood between them, and they're arch rivals and they're nemesis. But then they're like, "Well, why have you been acting so messed up towards me? Well, why you been acting so messed up towards me?" And like they connect in this really like genuine yet horrifically stupid way of like, "Well, maybe it hurt when." you are my role model and I always looked up to you and then you were mean to me. Well, maybe it hurt me when you said to derelict your balls. I mean, like, it's really stupid, but, like, it works.
1: Yeah, and, you know, they find a way to deliver lines that are actually serious. Like, well, maybe I'm kind of at the end of my career and you're just kind of winding up. And that right there is the theme of countless stories. You know, the fear of aging, and the youth taking over. and It's a very good scene. I agree. It's well-written. It's well-acted. It's just really great on every level. And then they make up and they decide to take this uh, the hallucinogenic tea. And as they're bonding with the tea, I do love that there's this part where Matilda's opening up and she's like, as a child, she was not this beautiful woman that she is today. She's like, you know, when I was a kid, I was the fat kid. And I love the instant reply from Derek where he goes,
0: ew. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Like the worst possible thing you could say, the worst possible way to react. And she confesses that she was bulimic. And then Zoolander thinks that means that she can read minds. And she's like, no, that means I threw up after meals. And they're like, yeah, we do that all the time. What's the big deal? They're just so cavalier about it. Like, yeah, in the world of modeling, who doesn't throw up after a big meal? And she's like, no, it's a serious illness. It's a terrible thing. And they're like, okay, whatever. But then they get on the topic of sex and Matilda confesses that she hasn't had sex in years, which they can't fathom. Zoolander's like, what's a long time? You mean like eight days? And then they have this Orgy sequence, which is not at all graphic. Like it's just like the camera kind of like zooming around them. Apparently, in an earlier cut of the movie, it was like a lot longer and more graphic. Uh, but then, when they were trying to get the PG thirteen rating, they they lost some of it. But it's just really funny.
1: You know, I think it's okay funny. I think it's I think it's actually exactly predictable of what you'd expect for this kind of film. I would find, like, funny sex scenes like Team America was a little funnier. This one had the, like, okay, it has them, like, you know, tripping. And then it's going to have something random. It's either going to have someone in a clown suit or it's going to have this. Sort of like out of Billy Madison, how now he's randomly making out with a giant penguin. And in this one, you randomly have, like, a monk joining in in the orgy. And it's funny. But I remember thinking that this was
0: a little bit by the numbers. I guess I could see that. It's also funny, like, in the the morning after scene when Zoolander is talking to Hansel and is like, you know, there was a moment last night when she was sandwiched between the two Finnish dwarves and the Maori tribesmen when I thought... I could really spend the rest of my life with her. Yeah, I was really feeling all this chemistry between the two of you. Yeah, it was a great, great scene. I mean, I guess you would call that like very sex positive, right? There's no jealousy. It's all just like they had that connection and like that's all that matters.
1: Right. And they have the big fashion show tonight, the Daryl Leaked show. They found out that Maury's computer, uh, Jerry Stiller's computer, will contain some uh, files that they need. So the guys have to break in, but they're like, well, they're going to be looking for you. And uh, Derek's reply is, well, they may be looking for us, but they won't be looking for not us. a great line. So then based on like a basic little uh, compact that Hansel has, they're able to create the second time in this film where they do a blackface and they both disguise themselves as uh, janitors and they're able to sneak themselves into uh, Maury's office. And the very funny part is that this is not blackface. This is actually two persons of color that are playing Ben Stiller and Owen Wilson's parts and they're dubbing their lines with uh, you know their voices it's very very funny
0: godfrey is a uh, zoolander the comedian godfrey remember him no i don't he's basically supposed to be zoolander and he's talking to matilda about you know like hey last night was really special and it's ben stiller's voice and godfrey's like lip syncing it it's very funny but so then they're trying to figure out how to get to these files it's the old imax you know like those uh, macintoshes that were like had the really big, curvy monitors.
1: Oh, in different colors. It was uh, Steve Jobs when he came back to Apple. This was one of the computers that completely turned
0: Apple around. Right. And it's a, a very obvious 2001 parody as Zoolander and Hansel are trying to figure out how to turn on the computer and find these files when they have no idea what they're doing. They have absolutely no clue how to even turn the machine on.
1: Right, and by that you mean 2001 colon A Space Odyssey, not the year this is uh, released in 2001. Correct.
0: Yes, I did mean 2001 colon A Space Odyssey.
1: Yeah, and now the two split up. Um, Hansel's trying to figure out how to get the files out of the computer while Derek has to go to the uh, Derelict show. Well, then Hansel makes a way to the show. Derek is walking down the runway and the DJ who's in with Mugatu, he starts putting on Frank and goes to Hollywood and Relax comes on. It's like your Manchurian candidate thing. He's been triggered where he now has to kill the prime minister of Malaysia. And he goes crazy and he's about to uh, kill him when Hansel jumps down and winds up having sort of like a breakdance fight with the DJ and they slowly turn the music off and turn it back on. So Derek goes into murder mode and I love every time he goes back into male model mode, he is a complete professional and he just resumes his you know casual walk on the catwalk instead of like his murderous
0: flips and stuff. Yeah, it is great. Did you recognize who that DJ was that uh, Hansel was fighting? No, I didn't. Uh, that's Justin Thoreau. I believe that he maybe kind of helped write this movie. He's not credited as a screenwriter on this movie, but I believe like he did some script doctoring. That makes sense because he wrote Tropic Thunder. He wrote Tropic Thunder. Uh, he wrote Iron Man 2. I think this is one of those movies that he... Kinda sorta wrote, but uh, you won't see his name in the credits. Not 100% sure about that, but yeah, it's definitely him as the evil DJ, and it's very funny. But then Hansel has the computer, he's like, I have the evidence, and the files are in here, and then he throws the computer down on the catwalk, and of course it breaks, and well, there's all the evidence. But Maury then confesses, and he says, you know what, he's right, We are behind this evil assassination plot. I can't deal with this anymore. There's like a joke at the very beginning of the movie where like he's talking to Mugatu and he's like, I've gotten an enlarged prostate and I can't even pee. Come on. Give me just a couple little drops of pee-pee. He's talking to his penis while he's trying to pee. And so now at the end of the movie, he's like, I've gotten an enlarged prostate. I can't deal with this anymore. So he's like a bad guy, but kind of. And now he's seen the light and he's trying to redeem himself. And he says that it doesn't matter that his computer was destroyed because he has everything backed up on zip disks, which is a total test of time thing. I definitely had a computer with a zip drive and I had zip disks and uh, I don't know how often I use them, but they were there.
1: I might have had a zip drive for a little while. I think I borrowed a Friends for a bit because before the advent of writable CDs, this was the only way to get anything bigger than a floppy disk around. I believe then writable CD drives were a thing, but they were like really expensive. Right. I mean, they were around, but this is zip discs were starting to leave. So I bet by the time I saw this film in 2003 or so, I was like, zip (laughs) disks,
0: wah, wah. Yeah, I guess it didn't really stand the test of time. Also, like while Maury is like calling his wife to tell her where the zip discs are, he takes out his tiny little cell phone and then puts in a hands free thing because he says, I'm afraid of the radiation, which was definitely a thing people used to say, like in the early days of cell phones, like, I want to use a cell phone, but I'm not sure about this radiation. But then they put a a headset in, which I don't know. Is that any better than just holding the phone to your head?
1: I think at the time there were a couple people that had tumors by their ears. And, you know, probably if you look at a million CAT scans of tumors, you know, some are going to be by the ears. So there was a scare back then that, uh, oh, maybe this is from all these new cell phones that people are using. It's the same thing we have today. Now we have 5G. So whatever is going to happen in the world, oh, it's because of 5G. People blame this. It's always going to happen. Right. but uh, now we get to the climax of the film and Mugatu takes over and he's just like Blue Steel, a Tigra this guy has one look they're the same thing and I love it he has the very quotable line I feel like I'm taking crazy pills and uh, you know he's basically doing this whole confession but the only thing that Derek is really mad about is that he's saying he only has one look right, right he's like one look one look (laughs) right so Mugatu decides like he's gonna murder the prime minister of Malaysia himself and he takes out a throwing star and throws it dead on right it's gonna go right between the prime minister's eyes and Derek now saves the day it's absolutely ridiculous but you know it's the kind of thing that for some reason completely works it could have been completely awful but for some reason, it works. And it had been hinted at a couple times earlier in the film that he has this new look called Magnum that he's not ready to release yet. But based on the fact that he has all, you know, every one of his looks are the same, you don't have much faith in it. But then as this flying star is flying down, he breaks out Magnum. It is gorgeous. Mugatu is is uh, thrilled by it. And Mori and even uh, Derek's father is completely like, wow wow and he's completely impressed by his son and not only that the laws of physics are impressed by magnum <laughs> because magnum is powerful enough to stop the throwing star dead in its tracks
0: the reason why it works is because they've been talking about magnum since like the very beginning of the movie so there's groundwork for it and It's stupid and it's preposterous, but it's really, really funny. The theater cracked up. And then after Mugatu's arrested, Matilda runs over to Zoolander and is like, you did it. You did it. And he's like, yeah, I know. I turned left. Because while he got onto the runway, he turned left and then made the magnum look. And she's like, yeah, but okay, sure, whatever. Uh, And then they kiss and they're happy to be together. And then the movie ends with this epilogue where Derek Zoolander opens up the Derek Zoolander Center for Kids Who Can't Read Good and Who Want to Learn to Do Other Stuff Good Too, which is a callback to something he'd said earlier, that he wanted to open up this school. They wanted to do something with his life besides modeling. And then Mugatu showed him a model. And Zoolander didn't understand that it was just a model because it was small. But now there is this real school. Maury works there and Hansel works there. And then Matilda shows up with their kid. And then the kid does his first look, just kind of a little, like, you know, little baby kind of pout but they're very excited that it's the baby's first look and the movie ends with wake me up before you go go credits come on so james now that we're at the end of the movie do you think that zoolander stands the test of time Um,
1: There are a number of pop culture references that don't stand up. Donald Trump, for what it's worth, stands up as a cameo. I mean, it takes you out of the film. It's of no fault to the film. But I think that there's other things like the small cell phone references are not that funny. And there are sequences that I never found that funny. But overall, it's just ridiculous. And it works. And I could see somebody a hundred years from now watching this film and not getting it. I could see it. There's just something about knowing a little bit about the fact that we're all in on the joke that models are pretty stupid, that you get it. That's a lot of the center of the film. But that being said... It's zany, it's ridiculous, it's fun. I laughed several times during this film. It's still incredibly quotable. It's just a great film and stands the test of time. So I say yes. I did not see the second film. And sort of like what you said, Al, I've heard not so great things and it might tarnish my uh, feeling of this film. So I'm probably not, I'll probably catch it someday, but I'm in no rush to see it. So for me, this film stands the test of time. What do you think, Al? 2001
0: Zoolanders, does it stand the test of time? I'll start off by saying one thing that I don't really think does stand the test of time. Can you name a current male model off the top of your head? No, I probably couldn't.
1: Uh, Although, I would say that if we were younger, we'd probably name some uh, like Instagram uh, influencers. Exactly.
0: I think that today the models aren't really models they're influencers they're personalities I mean not even just male models but name like a popular female model today
1: yeah like this Addison Ray uh she's she's this Instagram uh influencer she was in that uh He's all that remake on Netflix right. like you know this is where the models come from now right I feel
0: like when we were growing up we knew some models like you and i are, weren't fashionistas but we knew the names Cindy Crawford and you know Fabio but and, fabio
1: was a joke
0: even back then fabio was a joke fine, like tyson like, okay yes you could you could name, name two or three i feel like now it's just not really a thing about models influencers yes and you could say that it's a similar kind of a thing But I think the idea of like models in the world of fashion has lost a little bit of its like pop culture appeal.
1: Well, I think that influencers are walking down the aisle. I think your Kendall Jenner's and Addison Rae's are walking down fashion runways.
0: Yeah, exactly. But it's just it's kind of a different thing because now those people have like media personalities and you know who they are and they're not just like the Handsome or pretty face That you see in a magazine So I think that just as a concept Of like fashion and models That doesn't really stand the test of time One thing I noticed While I watched the movie this time Is that Zoolander says Who am I? twice and like the movie is sort of like this exploration of like who he is and he wants to be more than just a model they pay it off at the end but they could have done a better job of like tying a bow on that i thought of like he discovers that there's more to life than modeling and he's you know happy as as a husband and father and the person who runs the school i think they could have like done a little bit better uh job of that at the end and the other thing that I would say that doesn't really stand the test of time is that a lot of the jokes in this movie are shocking jokes, like where you don't expect the thing to happen, like the roommates blowing up in the gas fight, like the, the Magnum stopping the throwing star in midair. Like those are things that when you first see the movie for the first time and it happens, it cracks you up because you're just not expecting it. And then when you watch the movie again, you know it's coming and it has a little bit less of an impact. That said, those things are still funny. The jokes are still funny. The one-liners are funny. Everything's really funny. I think this movie really works 20 years later. Like I said at the top of the show, I have fond memories of this movie in that it made me laugh when I hadn't laughed in weeks after September 11th, and I'm grateful for this movie. Maybe that sounds cheesy, but, like, it's true. Like, I am grateful for this movie. I'm grateful for Ben Stiller. I was reading that there was, like, some quote-unquote controversy because before the movie came out, they took out two shots of the World Trade Center towers, and some people thought that was in poor taste. Like, I, I don't know. Is it in poor taste? I kind of feel like Ben Stiller would have been like, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Like if he leaves those shots in, then that's in poor taste. And if he took him out, that's in poor taste too. Like, I don't know. I feel like he did what he thought was the right thing to do in that situation, like days after the attacks. I wouldn't hold that against the guy. I think that was fine. Um, I really enjoyed rewatching this movie. I think it definitely stands the test of time. I'm not surprised that we both said yes. I think that's that's understandable.
1: Well, it's understandable given the fact that you yourself are
0: really, 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 really ridiculously good looking. Thank you, and you're you're a nice person.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, that's yeah. really
0: sweet al. Yeah, no, I know I, I mean it. And while we're doling out compliments. I did just want to read this email that we got from one of our listeners. An it, email? Yeah, an email. How do you email us? It's very easy. You email us at thetestoftimepodcast at gmail.com, as Dustin Sidillo did. Dustin Sidillo wrote us an email, and he said, Hello, Alan and James. I have to admit your podcast is one of the most interesting ones I've heard. It's even more enjoyable when you guys disagree because you share your valid points, making me feel in between. Now that you've covered both Escape from New York and L.A., I would love to hear your thoughts about a more underrated Kurt Russell movie, Breakdown, from 1997. Thank you for all the laughs you've given me this year and continue giving us quality. P.S., your theme song is so catchy that I now sing along every time I play an episode. Dustin. Dustin, thank you so much for that email. That is very kind. I really appreciate the kind words. Breakdown is officially on the list we will watch that movie we will do that on an episode and it's funny that you say you think our theme song is so catchy because every time we're about to start recording James starts singing the theme song very loudly and then I have to wait for him to stop singing so we can actually record but it is pretty catchy it's a catchy tune it is. And uh, the song
1: is uh, written by John Martinez and uh, me. And uh, well, that, so uh, thank you. Uh, thank you for the compliments on the song. I like the song. That, that, that's fun. And have you ever seen Breakdown, now? Yes. You lent
0: me the DVD. Oh, OK. Yeah. Well, random just to like watch it. You told me once like, oh, have you ever seen this movie Breakdown? And I said, no. And you said, here, you should watch it. There's definitely stuff to talk about with that movie. We will definitely do that movie. So thank you, Dustin, for writing. Anyone else, please write us more uh, very kind things and make us feel good about ourselves at the Podcast at gmail.com. But that is going to do it for us this week. Next week, we're going to be talking about another movie that has an anniversary coming up that I was really excited to revisit. It's a movie called The Long Kiss Goodnight. Have you ever seen that movie, James? No, I've never seen it. Okay, well, I'm excited to talk to you about it. I'm excited to hear your thoughts about it. Don't look up anything. Just go in cold. It's like what you always tell me. Don't do not do any research. Just push play on the movie. I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on that movie. In the meantime, we want to know your thoughts on Zoolander, on male models, on being really, really ridiculously good-looking. We are at Test of Time Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we'll see you next week, everybody. Bye-bye.